they are new to Redeemer, and we are so thankful for your voice. And uh, maybe we should maybe we should read this in Portuguese next time, and we can get you guys a translator. Uh, so, like I said, we're going to begin a, a new series for the next seven weeks or so. Um, just going back to basic uh, foundational things to the Christian faith. And so, uh, again, think of it as warming up the muscles again to come back into community together. Um, And this is a classic uh, passage that talks about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be the church, and and how to believe in God. And so, as we pray, it's our practice to spend some moments in silence before I preach. And then we will uh, engage with prayer uh, with each other. I do pray with the mic. I don't want you to just disengage. I want you to ask God to meet us uh, here silently um, in how you pray. So pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we invite you into uh, our lives and into this space with us. We uh, need you. We know um, from history, from your word, from our internal, uh, the longings of our hearts, that all authority has been given to your son, Jesus. And and Jesus, we invite you to uh, be our king. And we submit to you now as we listen to your word, um, as we hear from you. And Holy Spirit, would you do the work of illuminating your good word um, that has been sufficient for the church throughout the ages and will continue to be sufficient. um, That your word will last, uh, even though all things will fade like the grass, your word doesn't. And so, Lord, as Brittany uh, prayed, the, the ancientness of Uh, who you are. Would you come and and teach us something eternal? Uh, Make us uh, sense the weight of your glory and what you've given uh, to the disciples back in the first century uh, is what you've given to us for um, the church in the 21st century. So come, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I have a friend of mine who, who came to believe in God in a very strange way. He said when he was in his 20s, he had fallen in love with a girl and uh, wanted to marry her. And she was on the fence about that. And they kept going back and forth. And he ended up buying a ring and and kind of putting it all out there. And when he gave her the ring, uh, she didn't give him the answer that he wanted. And he um, was declined in that moment. And so the next day, he was... uh, He was riding his bicycle to work. This was back in the day. And uh, he said he saw a red light and he closed his eyes and cycled through the light in hopes of it all ending. And it didn't. He survived. And the next day, he said, this is how my, he loves to tell the story. He said, this is how my relationship with God began. He said, "I, I sat down at my table the next morning and I said, okay, God, I don't have anything to say to you. Do you have anything to say to me? Because if not, I'm going to go to work. And that's how his relationship with God began. That's how, in essence, he became a Christian. Now, um, what you need to know about what Camilla and Bruno just read is that everybody 
um, up to this point that had interactions with Jesus, like the Marys, like the disciples, um, at his death, they did not get what they wanted to out of him, or what they need, what they feel like they needed out of him. And they were at an extreme, an extremely hopeless place in their life. That's where the Marys were. That's where the disciples were. And they, uh, that's where Matthew places us here in, in our text. And here's the question that Matthew puts before the people in the text and puts before us today. The question is, what, what if death has caved in on itself? What if it has been reversed? Like an antivirus. Um, what if all of the terror that you've experienced has begun to go away in the person of Jesus? Like, what if that's actually true? Would you be willing to allow yourself to start over with the hope of that, to start fresh? Maybe for the first time, just like my friend, he wasn't getting what he thought he needed out of the woman that he loved, and he had given up all hope, and that's where uh, belief for him started, and that's what our passage is about today. And I want to discuss um, that in our approach to God with these two points, the surprise of Jesus's reality and then the response to his reality. So look at your text there. Um, in the first six verses, the surprise of his reality, I want you to notice what the Marys were doing um, when they came to the tomb. They wanted to go to the tomb just to be there, um, to be around the body. They wanted to be where he was. And they were the last ones at the cross and the first ones at the tomb. And then they experienced an earthquake and an angel who had rolled the stone back, apparently, that sealed Jesus's tomb. And the angel was sitting on top of the stone like it's a recliner. Now, whatever picture you have of angels in your head is probably wrong. Um, angels are always so intense in the Bible that people immediately get terrified it says that this angel had the appearance of lightning. You guys ever seen? You, you guys ever been up close and personal with lightning? Mm-hmm. Uh, it it is frightening. Um, and the first thing the angel says, which is what they always say, "Don't be afraid, for I know that you see Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, just like you said he wasn't going to be here. Now come and see the place where he lay. Now just think about this for a moment. A, a very strange being, a supernatural being, that looks really scary. <clears throat> so scary that armed soldiers become like dead men. We're talking to them. Imagine you're one of the Marys, okay? Put, put yourself in their shoes. And this angelic being knows what you're feeling and what you're thinking. They were going there to grieve and to cry. And then this, it's not what they thought. You ever, um, you ever eaten a, uh, a food that, that you weren't looking at and you're like, oh, that's not the food that I thought, <laughs> that I thought it was. Like, like, that's not an apple. Um, the, the greatest thing, maybe I've told you this before, but the greatest thing I did when me and Sarah were dating is that I pretended to be down in Texas one day when I was calling her on the phone, back when people used to talk on the phone with your voice, y'all remember that? Um, 
And she thought I was down in Texas, but she was here watching a play actually like near the 8th and D building. And as I was talking to her, I was, appro- I was approaching her. And she's like, well, what are you doing? And as I got up on the ledge where she was, I was like, well, I'm talking with you in person. And, and it was a great surprise, right? I wish I had proposed at that moment. But these two, these two Marys um, were expecting one thing at the tomb. And then they don't see Jesus where he should be, you know, like dead. That's strange. And the angel explains that this actually happened. Verse 7 and 8, it says, Then go quickly, this is what the angel says to, to Mary, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. These Marys were the first evangelists. This is what an evangelist is. It's, it's a runner throughout the ancient world that has news to give to other people. That's what an evangelist does. And so they start running. And then what happens in verse 9? Who shows up on the way? Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Greetings. <laughs> uh, the original says, be, be glad. And I love that. Because when somebody rises from the dead, now is the time for gladness. And they begin to worship him. Immediate worship. Uh, everybody worships. Everybody serves something, as Bob Dylan says. Uh, my friend, the reason why he felt like he wanted to die when his girlfriend wouldn't accept his invitation to, to get married is because he was worshiping the relationship. He was worshiping her. And so it didn't feel like he could go on in his life when she said no. We're all committed to something. Every one of us in here is driven by something. That's why we woke up today. We're driven by something. And here's the offer of Christianity. Uh, Belief in God begins with instinctive worship because where you thought there was death, you found life. Again, I I know I harbor this so much because I need it. Um, Jesus was dead. And now he's walking around talking to people. This is a picture of what will happen with you if you follow him, if you believe in him. This is the first fruits of what it means to rise from the dead. You see, it's almost painful for you to even think about talking to your loved ones that you may have lost, or your family members or your friends that have passed away because you know the sadness. You know it. If you've lost somebody close to you, I was cleaning up my desk and I came across the Roper and Sons list of what it costs to like do the thing at a funeral. And when you think about that, when you go back to those memories, you remember um, bodies and caskets and the the sadness there. Um, And that's what these women were feeling. They, the last experience they had with Jesus was 
just like all of our experiences, when we see a dead corpse, you just think that's, that's not, well, I don't know where they went, but that's not them. That's the last experience they had with Jesus. And I've told, I've told you guys this before, but one of, one of the most memorable things my grandmother did at my grandfather's funeral, and his, and his name was Lionel. She looked over at his corpse and she said, I don't know where Lionel is, but that sure ain't him. <laughs> that's, that's what the Marys had seen of Christ. And to have someone back in their full bodily reality, you just don't, you don't mess around with people's emotions like that. Unless what? Unless it's true. And that's what Jesus is telling these women. He said, I'm real. This isn't a dream. You can touch me. This happened. Now you've got to figure out how to live in light of it. Uh, in Scripture, the truth always surprises people. Always. And I, I hate to have to ask this, but I know I do, because if you're anything like me, you need to hear this question. Have you lost your sense of wonder at what happened to Jesus Christ? Have you lost your sense of wonder at your own story? Have you lost your sense of wonder at your own existence? It's all a miracle. And if so, if you have, why? There's some pain there if you, if you have. Because if this didn't happen, it's a ball of dust floating in the middle of nowhere. It's what's happening right now. But it did. Matthew is saying that what's foolish, actually, is to doubt that this ever happened to begin with. Some worship, some doubted, and Jesus takes both doubters and worship, worshipers and says, you're going to be my evangelist to the world now. Which leads to our next point, because you, you may say, you, you may say, okay, I do believe in this. Or I want to. Um, I think I do. Help my unbelief. You know, you may be that, you may be that type of person in, in the, the resurrection. And so where do you start? How do you start like living your life in light of this? And that's the second point, the response to his reality. Uh, Jesus comes to Galilee and says in verses 18 through 20, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, when Jesus is using this authority language, what he's saying is that I am the true human being. When God told Adam and Eve to rule and have dominion over the cosmos in the, in the garden, he was saying, I want you to make earth look like heaven. Mimic me like a mirror reflects the beauty of what's in heaven. And they didn't do it. And so when, when Jesus comes back to earth, he's restoring earth to the way that it always should have been and what he's Communicating here is that I am a new type of human being. I am the second Adam. I am the type of human being that rises from the dead. And anyone who's connected to me or united to me will also rise from the dead. 
And I want you to take that hope to every single nation, every single type of person throughout each age. And what it means to believe in God, um, or to start to believe in God, is, is to be sent out into the lives of other people with that hope, with that gospel, with that good news. And that's what it means to be a disciple. That you play a, a very significant part. You begin to think and believe that I play a very significant part in restoring God's plan to, to fix the brokenness of the world. That kind of centers on death and sin. Now that word discipling, uh, if, if you grew up in church, that what that probably means to most of you if you grew up in church um, is that you're going to sit down with somebody a little bit older than you and they're going to teach you some of the Bible with like a little mentorship sprinkled in. And that, that is wonderful. And that can be truly helpful. But discipleship in the way that Jesus is using it here is, is way more intense than that. It is, think of it as learning a trade or apprenticeship that learn, learning from Jesus, following Jesus, listening to his teachings doesn't merely make you a nicer person. Um, but more, it, it's like being connected to the very source of life for the very first time. And learning what it means to be fully alive. This is why, if you've ever truly been discipled by somebody... And, and it feels like this person actually makes me more who I am. That's the idea of what discipleship means. And it's because they are connecting you because they are united to Christ. They're saying, be united to him. And it's like getting some oxygen into your lungs. And you might ask, well, how, how can I disciple someone or how can I be discipled? It's, it's simple. This is where you start. Uh, you must start by being completely honest with God. My friend who ran through the red light on his bike. He is an evangelist now. Late into his 60s. And he has essentially planted three churches out of his own pocket. And he's not a pastor. He's just a normal business guy. But he became an apprentice of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus. And he became a different type of person. And that all started because he found life where he didn't expect to find it and was like, okay, God, I'm listening. What else is part of this new reality besides making disciples? It's ba baptizing. Um, when you are baptized into the name of the Trinity, you can think of that as like a tattoo on your head, which says you belong to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit forever. And belonging is a big deal for every human being. When we don't feel that we belong anywhere, that's very uh, disorienting to, our, to the core of our identity. And, and what Jesus is saying is that this is your core identity now. That you, what's poured out onto you is the grace and the love and the fellowship that has existed between Father, Son, and Spirit from all eternity. And part of entering into this new reality with Jesus is to be marked by those waters. Those waters of grace. Which say, I, you're saying, I belong to the Trinity. And I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And I will live in the, in the life and the hope of the world to come where there is no sin and death. And I will seek to practice that new life 
here and now, even when it seems pointless and hopeless, because I know there, there's more to the reality than what I see. Um, look, if you've never been, if you believe in Jesus, right, like today, if you believe in Jesus and you've never been baptized, there are many, many men and women in this room that would love to talk to you about that. I am one of them. I would love to talk to you about what baptism means. Um, it is such a beautiful mystery. It is a picture of the gospel, just like this table is. And there's so much more to say here, but baptism is a sign of God's grace and someone's entry into that covenant community where we believe together, because we need each other to actually believe this, we believe together that there is resurrection. And that our ultimate destiny is to live in the eternal enjoyment of God as his child, as his son or daughter. Finally, we can respond to Jesus's reality by teaching people to observe all that Jesus commanded. Uh, that was going to be the disciples task. This is the church's task. Even today, the church is always good to remind yourself of this. The church is not a culture. The church is not a building. You are the church. People are the church. And our task today, as it was for the disciples back here, was given with the authority of Jesus to them to say, teach them what I taught you. Teach the world my commandments. And one of the marks of a Christian is when you start to see the commandments of God as freeing, not restrictive. Freedom to be who you're always meant to be. Who is the freest athlete on the basketball court or on the soccer field? Is it the one that just does whatever, whatever they want to do? Or is it the one that knows the rules so well that it becomes instinctive to them to play? It's, they're free. Jesus' commandments are meant to set you free according to your design as a human being, as a creature. And it takes a while to learn that. It's like a new language, and that's the church's role, to teach the world the new language of what it means to be a new creative creature. Um, and, I'll, and I'll say this. Uh, you, don't, you don't know how beautiful the commandment uh, to not commit adultery is until one of your parents commits adultery. And then you know. You know that God's ways are better than what we seek to do with our lives. You see its beauty. Holiness is hard at first. But then there's freedom. Sin's fun at first, but then, then there's sadness. Those are the, th the three responses to the reality of Jesus' resurrection. Dis discipling, uh, calling people into this new reality, baptizing, being marked with this new identity that becomes the core to who you are, and then teaching and learning what it means to be human again. The commandments of God. This is what it means to practically believe in God in your day-to-day -day reality. And this is held true for 2,000 years. Uh, Kathy Keller says that people everywhere right now are saying that the, the church needs to, to have a different strategy to implement the gospel in the world than the proclamation of it. 
Um, and she said, you know, they, they said that back when we planted Redeemer New York in the 80s. They definitely said that after the World Trade Center towers fell in 2001. But she said, they were wrong. We have everything we need in the Great Commission. In its clarity. Jesus beat death. He's the king. Make disciples, baptize, teach. We'll be okay. We have all we need in, in, in Christ. And then he also says at the very end, which is the, great, the greatest promise, uh, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Every other thing dies when you die. Whatever you're worshiping that isn't Christ dies when you die. You die, you go away from your friends. No one can travel that road with you. But Jesus says, I don't die when you die. I go with you to the very end. That goes for you individually and you as a church, collective community. He will never leave you. He'll never leave us in the nothingness of death. My uh, hope is that we can respond to that. But first, before we do, do you believe that? Do you have that confidence? Um, Do you at least want to believe it? That is where we're going to start, and we will continue on over the next several weeks in how to believe in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promise of um, this mission that you sent us into the world. And we ask you.